if we come back to the little things a little bit and we start on uh if there's anything well we've done this already right like this is not a this is a piece that this is the first time for you the listener this is the first time we are discussing this but previously back in the days when the sunken treasures were not sunken treasures but it was more of a company book club people just wanted to talk and get together and explore ideas uh, we had an episode about this right not an episode i guess just a meeting or a book club meeting where we talk about it all right well we will be talking about the little prince and this is a story uh it's a fictional story but there's so much truth to it in terms of it's a story that the main character or you you will go through the whole book looking at the world through the eyes of a boy a little boy it's a kid right this is someone who you can get the sense even from the first lines of the book that it is still a young soul and a young mind engaging with a world and that perhaps is it is a world that is influenced by the real world if we want to talk about it like that but it's also very fantasy oriented right like this is a book where um a little kid is exploring and navigating i guess different ideas that come his way but he is not engaging with these aspects of the world and these people in the world as perhaps hum- like grown-ups uh grown humans engage right like but anyways I, i don't want to start talking about the book but what what do you think about this book i guess that would be a good question to start like Where are we with this book? It would be nice to see when did you encounter this book for the first time in your life. Like for sure, I encountered this uh, not when I was a kid, but when I was um, I was in college, and this was actually this copy that I have here. You're not seeing it, of course. Um, whoever is listening to this, but these copies is a there's a dedication. It's, it's quite not visible, but there's a dedication, and it was from a girlfriend I had, and I was so surprised. She gave me this in my birthday. And I knew about the book back then, but I've never read it until she gave me this copy. And it just changed a lot. You know, like I really treasure this this copy per se in this book. But yeah, like I found it when I was in college. And I guess it got to me in the right time. Um, but I would like to know, like, what is it, how is it for you? Like, when did you encounter this book in your lives? about a week ago when he introduced the topic yeah yeah <laughs> even me when we did the book club session uh, last time that is when i first heard about that was it that's the same for me so what was that maybe four months ago let's say three four months yeah because because i was so when when daniel and alejandra were talking about the book they were like everybody knows this i was like uh, maybe <laughs> it's a not I'm like maybe everyone in North America just like along with alphabet learn the little prince or whatever. No. <laughs> You're not <laughs> alone. Out, yeah, turns out I'm not alone. Yeah, I was surprised. So because mm-hmm. I first found this book. Oh, go ahead, Donovan. No, that's you can go. Um, I first found this book. I was helping my parents like go through their basement when I was in high school and I found a report my dad had done in college on the book. And so I actually read like his paper on the book before I had read the book. I was like, this isn't this a kid's book? Like why would you write a college and like a paper in college on it? 
at university. Um, and so that's, and that was. And so how much gosh, like time, sorry, I just quick question. How much time passed between reading your dad's paper and you reading the book? I think I started reading it shortly after that, but never finished it. And gotcha. then about four months ago is Very when cool. I like actually picked it up and read it in its entirety. Okay. How was the encounter with the book? Like, um, I mean, there's so much to talk about it, but the overall notion of the book and when you encounter it, I guess I would like to know how was that experience back four months ago? It caught me by surprise. Yep. So what I found fascinating about the book and what serves as the basis of what the book functions on is a child flipping the narrative of, oh, these silly adults. So it's, it's, from a, it's written from a child's perspective who meets this other child and they're having this discussion about, about various very serious things and talking like they're the authority on the matter in, in, in quite a confident sort of, oh, these adults need our hand-holding sort of thing. So it's this discussion, it's this about how they talk about giving up art because he didn't get it right or you know going for things like geography because and history because it's the more useful thing to do and then all all these different different things which at first glance might seem like a kid just rambling but then as as it passes you start realizing that there are actual thoughts behind that and that i found to be a really interesting uh, perspective to write a book from like to to me it was the same you know the first time i i read it um I guess I was also in that point in my life when it was, it was my first year of college and before going to college to the US, I was studying music and I was like, I had already spent uh, four years in music school and I mean the career as a musician, it was eight years, so I wasn't half of it. <laughs> so I still had some more much to go. Um, but I guess this opportunity came along and I just took it and I was like, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll go and I'll jump to another country. But I was really um, wrestling a lot with this identity, right, of like, what am I? Am I an accountant? Because I was studying accounting or business accounting, something like that. Am I a musician? You know, I was also like, uh, you know, like, is what's music now that I'm not studying but still somehow I wanted to be keep here. And the book somehow really allowed me to do something of like going back to the first episode that we recorded, a lot of like stop thinking a lot about myself, right? As seriously back in that moment. And I, like the book is very good for that in my opinion. Like these kids, they, they wake a kid, especially the little prince, looks at the world it is not fixed, right? Like, I guess that's one of the interesting parts of of the themes of the book, having a kid's vision and interpreting the world of adults, right? And interpreting different type of characters, like the king, or I think it's the accountant, right? Like, I know there's a guy who's counting numbers all the time, like the businessman. Um, like, they, like, it looks, for the kid at least, for the little prince, uh, the way he understands these adults is that the adults are taking life way too seriously, right? Like there's always a, lo a structure, there's always a way to, to do things and to navigate the world and to operate and to behave. 
And they're full of answers. I think that's an interesting part of it too. Like adults for the little prince are full of answers. They they do uh, walk the world as if they knew everything about the world, right? And as if they actually discover what it what the world is about, what life is about, uh, the ultimate goal of it. And that really struck me back in the day because. That was the question I was confronting, right? Like I was really trying to find an an answer, like a an answer to the question of like, what am I going to do? Like, right? Like I'm studying here and then I have three more years and I am in the US and what am I going to do when I graduate? And how should life be? Um, and really taking those questions super seriously. Reading The Little Prince really helped me stop looking at the world so seriously and perhaps even having way more the ability or trying to discover the ability of looking at the world that I was living from different perspectives right and even question like when am I actually having any answers about the world like when do I actually know anything about the world and how the world should be compared to the little prince who He's just navigating it and it navigates, he navigates the world through questions, uh, right? And observation It's like, why are you spending so much time here alone as, you know, the king, the king without a kingdom, right? Like you're like going back to the book in this character, like the king in that, in that planet is like you have a planet and you govern that planet, but there's nobody with you, right? Like. It is all in your mind as well. Like everything you govern, it's in your mind and you believe you are the king, but there's really nothing going on, right? Anyways, I'm just, that's a lot of what I got from the book. Like the ability of the kid to look at the world through questions rather than answers. How was it for you in this case? Like what do you find interesting about? One of the first things, book? yeah, that kind of picks up on that emphasizes that kind of childlike mind is the worlds. He's coming from a different world and we meet the narrator, you know, his airplanes crashed and, you know, this voice starts asking him, you know, will you draw me a sheep? But, you know, it's at first really hard for these two characters to connect because they're coming from such different places. And, you know, for the narrator, we never know a name or identity of the narrator really, but, um, you know, he's very sure of himself and like, why is this kid asking me all these questions? And, you know, very much kind of assumes the, you know, part of the analogy or the metaphor of like kind of an adult mind. And like, of course, this is how the world works. And of course, our, our protagonist, the little prince, is just not understanding it because of his experiences and understanding or like lack thereof of whatever this new world, this life is supposed to be. I thought that really stood out to me just like right from the beginning. The book is a, you can be seen as like a massive metaphor of what we lose when we grow into adulthood is that sense of curiosity and childlike wonder. And even though I only came across this book a few months ago, it, it does take you aback just how the simple yet profound that perspective is. Why do you think that happens? Like, why do we lose, like, why do we stop 
having that much curiosity. Uh, and natural curiosity, like I feel that being curious as an adult is more of an effort and work, right? It's like, I need to be curious or, uh, you know, like it's, it's it takes effort rather than being you, being something you do just naturally, you know, like this is just the way you are. Like, I think you're exactly right about that. I think in a way, you know, we're talking like broad strokes, yeah, kid grows up and gets the job, you know, becomes an adult or whatever, like takes on these adult responsibilities. There is a natural inclination to create a life of predictability and structure and have mm. that uncertainty not be such an effort. You know, I got bills to pay. I don't want to know if I'm going to be able to pay them, right? Like I want to, we work hard so that we can have that predictability and we don't have to be challenged with the uncertainty of, what does it all mean, right? <laughs> well, and I, I think there, you know, what I've, I've noticed, both sort of reflecting on my own childhood and, and definitely with, with Monty, is that there is this, you know, anything's game for asking a question, um, that there isn't a question of relevance, or even like, it doesn't even have to exist. Monty was like, when was the first star born? I was like, I, I don't know. <laughs> And like, more importantly, I was like, I wonder how they would even figure that out. You know, how do you, how do you like reverse date that? That's really, you know, an interesting thing. But I think as adults, we be, do become quite productivity driven. And so then it becomes a question of relevance. Do I actually need to know the answer to this in order to get to the next thing? Because if not, um, you know, it becomes more whimsical than it does practical. Yeah, but when you're a child, you're still trying to understand your environment. Yeah. You're still trying to discover the world. And so there's just a lot more questions to ask. And at a point, at, there comes a point where, where you kind of believe that you have a grasp on what you're looking at and how things work and how materials feel and taste and everything. And so we just naturally have less questions. Because we think we know. Um, right, like... We, we know well enough, I would say, in most cases. But that's so boring. No, we don't. <laughs> we don't. Like, ah. like, I have a good story. Like yesterday, um, Kat and I went to this event. And uh, it was a great... What? It was Yeah, I guess story time. You guys hung out? I'm so yeah, jealous. Yeah, story time. We went to a... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, so, so we, um, we went to this um, art show in Mexico City. Uh... But before before we got to the event, we were walking and we saw this rooftop and we were like, oh, let's try it. And we went and tried it. And we had a very interesting conversation about uh, clothing, right? Like we sat and it was very this fancy rooftop in, you know, the most hipster and bushy part of the city. Um, and we've never been, so we were so excited. We were talking about the person next to us. They didn't, they, you know, there was a guy who looked well-dressed and well-put, nice haircut. Um, very, very interesting person. And we're talking about boots and clothing and something Kat shared with me, and maybe Kat, you can intervene in this in this story, is the, um, like, how... We were talking about how clothing may have an effect on how people relate to you. And also something you are doing, Kat, and you can talk about more about this, like this idea you shared with me about putting art into like using clothes and textures and textiles into art and also like playing about 
how different meanings and different colors and different textures can reveal different meanings to a piece of art, for example. Something like that. So I don't know. Would you? Would it? Would it be okay if you shared that story? I think it's quite relevant too. Yeah, I, I mean, we like. I, I guess kind of tying it back to like childhood. Like I, I'm speaking from my childhood. I was very adamant about choosing my clothes as a child, and of course, it would be like rain boots and a tutu and like whatever, right? Like, because kids don't know; they just want to put on whatever they think they identify in that moment. And as we grow up, we kind of lose that je ne sais quoi, right? Like that spirit in a way. We put on the what's in and what helps us kind of both blend in, but at the same time, we're still choosing these items that reflect to the world who we are. Um, and so, yeah, kind of incorporating t textiles into art is something I've really been considering and wanting to do because it's amazing how much one piece of clothing. I think one example we were talking about last night was like a, this man's blazer. It looked very clean. You know, you could tell from the back, like it was a very nice, you know, designer blazer or whatever. And I just pointed out, like if that blazer was made of, you know, same cut, same everything, but just a different material. Let's say that material was had a little bit more give to it, had a little bit more slack, had a little bit more stretch or who knows, maybe it had a little bit of shine to it. What is all of a sudden that blazer now has become a different messaging tool, right? Like it can turn into, you know, very professional to, oh, now he's like a rock star or whatever, like kind of putting on more of an air of high fashion or like bold designer taste. Um, and so kind of relating back to the little prince, I mean, clothing and textiles aside, like he's, if he were to be choosing clothes, like he's not choosing clothes that fit in with the norm or fit in for a purpose. He would be choosing clothes that just spark his interest, you know, rain boots and tutus or whatever it may be. Um, yeah. So I have, I have a question. What do you think of someone who you see on the street, a, a grown person, who wears seven different colors plus rain boots and maybe yeah. some random stuff? What would you, what would you think? We, we thank you for the question. About it, right? Like, like we did. Talk I thought about, about it like after or earlier this morning too, because it's almost like two one-way conversations happening at the same time. So, what I mean by that is, in this perfect example, Donovan, where someone's just walking by, and I have no idea who this person is, but all I can see is what they're wearing. That person was feeling some type of way to put on seven different colors and rain boots and whatever. Like that is a reflection of them and whatever they are feeling by wearing those things is is part of their identity. But at the same, that's their conversation within themselves. That's a one-way conversation. But here I am, a bystander sitting on the side of the street, see this individual walk by. I now too am having a one-way conversation about this man individual's outfit and thinking, oh man, you know, I could be thinking maybe this person's unhinged or and like lost their marbles. What are you doing wearing whatever? Like, so but we're never connecting the two stories if I never knew this person, ever had a conversation with them. Um, and so in a way, we're all doing that. Every time we walk out to the store or we 
you know, we touched a little bit on like brands too last night. It was just, it's amazing how much storytelling you do just by walking or going and yeah. So I think maybe a part of the reason why we choose to not dress like that anymore is because we now understand more about the message and we kind of have an idea of how we want to be seen. And so because we understand that more, which children don't, they don't understand how Mm. colors affect moods and how some can make you stand out more than others. While in a business environment, everyone wears grays, blacks, colors that are that are designed to not draw attention to them in most cases. In, in, so, in, yeah, sorry, go, go. yeah, I think one is that I think that for the most part, it's a very made up situation, right? Like we start getting told a very particular story pretty early on, you know, like uniforms, a lot of private schools use uniforms. So kids don't feel excitable. And that's a real thing. Like, by the way, I would like a private school with uniforms and, you know, one Friday a month, you got to wear jeans and any t-shirt you wanted that didn't have words on it. And like the energy was like out of control. Every teacher hated that day, including my mother. Why, why is that? Because they feel like they're no longer contained, like they're no longer abiding by a structure. And so um, they just become like, so then they don't really adhere to any of the structures in the building, <laughs> just the uniform, but like the, the noise level, the like running in the hall, like everything kind of goes up out so the uniform it controls their behavior yeah absolutely and it also supposedly like decreases like the amount of um people using clothing as social currency um and that can be a big sometimes be a big issue especially if there's a large socioeconomic gap um or range are you supporting the point that i just made about yes but what i'm trying to say is i don't think that messages I don't think that those messages actually are like inherent to the clothes. I think they're inherent to the social structure. Um, so I wanted to just say that. And then the other thing, like the only time I've ever like actually been like, yeah, that's like a legit thing we shouldn't do. Most of the time I'm a really quite, I love color. Um, I once, when I was in medicine, bought a pair of red scrubs and she, the te- like my, my teammates were like, yeah, no, no, nobody ever wears red scrubs. Cause if you have to go talk to an owner and you're like, head to toe in like bright red like that's not a good thing to look like something is covered you in blood but outside of like that where people are already triggered and like emotionally on edge I like I love color I think it brings I'll be the girl who wears like the weird shit on the street every time so I think I think the difference I, th- I think the difference between a child being able to afford that and the adult being able to afford that is that we have limited avenues and limited choices as an adult and as an adult you have real consequence so whenever uh, whenever we make these choices because there are a hundred different things that we have to focus on and we use those signals as qualifiers to move through life like when you're walking on the street you don't you don't look at a person wearing what would what could be called you know quote unquote crazy clothing and then think about oh maybe this this person went to art school and you know yeah no you're like no you know this 
this person is you know a little out of the norm and if you need to engage in some sort of thing so there are all these things the adult world does like even the thing about the uniforms it's it's about how do you create an environment that is while the problem is socioeconomic in nature what is the most immediate and easy thing that you can actually nullify so that it's an equalizing factor like even even the words that you people used to speak like the 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 accent that you have and all these things already can indicate the, the your socioeconomic status and you know and having a huge abercrombie and fitch logo while everyone else is wearing like horrible pastels is a is a very clear indicator while while for the richer kid it's like hey it's my personality but it it also becomes harder as an institution for you to make it common ground for the kids to engage and all of that so i think there are a lot of things like that in our world where we make those choices like like wear a suit like that's the thing even with i mean this is gonna let i'm i don't intend on taking it this direction i just want to take that example and come back because we'll go off into another tangent but the idea of like having a degree how that shows that you're a person who is willing to who is so committed enough to the system that you're going to go spend that time and all of that the merits demerits are for another day but it's all, it's all signaling because you can only focus on a finite amount of things but 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 when kids are doing that they they have a lot more freedom to go off the off the charted course and all of that but that being said we still will have to pick our battles of yes clothing i will wear certain colors i will like for example i hate wearing full sleeve shirts i can't for the life of me do that but if if i'm if i'm working in like a in a in a in a in a space where you have to be seen as someone who can be relied upon i'm like a doctor or i don't know what the doctor scene is where you guys are but here all of them like try to wear like full and shirts and there's you can tell by seeing them that they're a doctor like so those are those are choices we have to make here it's fine i'll give this up but there but here i will still be the kid so i i think what i'm getting at is also the irony of the little prince when he says oh there is there's this there's this point in the story where he's like if the rose has a thorn and the sheep can still eat it what's the point of a thorn and the narrator says i don't know and then the little prince gets pissed that oh how can you not care about it oh caring about this is what the world is about and i sometimes roll my eyes at the overly poetic emphasis of those things because because as adults there are other things that you you're going on with and this whole idea of like this extreme version of like oh everything in nature uh observing it is this pristine high level thing but every thing of your mundane daily adult task is lame is also is also very twisted and it mm. is what it exactly is it is childish <laughs> there, there there's something you guys were mentioning about um right like we we need, we we make choices as adults right and we we choose what to wear 
depending on situations and the meaning of and and I agree with Daniel that these are all like social constructions in terms of like it is the network of society that makes those meaning appear and be established and something we were talking with Kat yesterday was like they are very con I think I was talking to Daniel about it I think so about things being contingent right like these meanings can can uh, they're temporal they change with time they change with new ideas coming and being adopted and becoming normal but something that I believe, like going back to the example of like, if you see somebody so colorful and so out of the norm on the street wearing like these shiny clothes, would you like, I guess, going back to the little prince, I think as adults, we will remain, and that's the problem, right? Like we remain uh, without the curiosity of, wow, who are you? You know, like what's going on? But, and we're very quick. No, I'd cross the street. No, no, but that's what you do. No, but what exactly? That's what I'm saying. That's what because I'm you saying. Feel like like we're you very know. quick at making yeah. the judgment, and we're very quick at thinking we know what's going on, and perhaps if we can, we can emit any type of judgment to that example, right? Like, oh, this person is crazy, or oh, this person is an artist, or oh, this person. Like, we are so quick at doing that instead of starting with a question of like, I don't know, I want to know, and I think that's a lot of. That's for me, for example, what throughout the little prince just to finish throughout the little prince this is a lot of what he how he encounters and engages with the world like he goes into these different planets and meet these different characters and he's not like you know like he actually questions like why are you counting all the time why is this important to you but not necessarily from like oh the world is not about this i don't think in the book he says like the the world and life is about this kind of the opposite like he's really in the in the in the journey of trying to make sense of why is people like this right like why do people care so much about it why are you so caught up with your numbers why are you so caught up with the job you have right like there's a planet i remember somebody's turning in the light and that's the job and it's like wow like cool Mm -hmm. and the adult is like i hate my job you know like i'm just yeah, it's, it's just the job I have to do. It is such a horrible job. So anyways, I think that's that was what it was in my mind. Yeah. I know. I just also noticed, like, Donovan, I think it, it would be really funny for you and I to hang out at some point because I have, like, the opposite reaction when I see the person with, like, the totally... This actually happened with Monty and I. We were walking to the grocery store and this guy was walking out wearing, like, these... It was, like, a man in his, like, late 40s wearing, like, pink cat pants. They were amazing. And I said, those pants are incredible. I like stopped and like commented on the pants and he stopped and he said, I have twin daughters and this was my birthday gift from them. And thus I am wearing the pants. And, you know, it was just like this really sweet moment. And as we left, Monty was like, why did you have to talk to him? I was like, because I could, you know, you can make a connection. You can like make up a story in your head about somebody or you can like take the time to try to connect with them. Um, And so I think, yeah. Did you know in nature... The most venomous animals, they have bright colors to keep other animals away, like to let you know how venomous they are. They tend to adopt these weird, random, bright colors. Do, do, do yeah, you know but that? it's also thing? like the male that wants to get the best female has the wackadoo feather pattern too. So I think you could take that in a couple of different... Yeah, like peacocks. Yeah, but, what, yeah, but no, that's, that's the male who wants <laughs> to attract 
the type of female that would be attracted to a loud, you know, someone who wants to stand out. Yes. Wait, wait, don't even finish your point. What are you saying? No, I'm saying that your clothes does tell a story about who you are. And the point is, it's not just made up by society. I mean, these things are instinctual coming back from before we had civilization. There are certain colors that stimulate certain feelings. There's a whole science behind colors. Green makes us more (laughs) calm. Purple and black and white. These colors set the mood. Right. And And, and we agree with that. it, It tells the mode that you're in. If you're wearing seven, eight, nine, ten different colors, either you're a clown, as in you're professionally a clown, or there's something random and and very unpredictable about you. I mean, I'm not sure I want to ask you what what, what are you doing? But, like, and, and, and that's are, the whole point of the little or? prince. I, I'm not sure. No, I think, I think that's the whole point of the little prince. Like, you're behaving like an adult. And that's, I guess, what he observes of adults. Like, he's not necessarily making a judgment about, oh, you know, like, you shouldn't be, you should be more like a kid like me. No, he's just really putting it of, like, as adults, we are very quick, just to finish, we're very quick at making these judgments. And we based it on a lot of things. Like, you just made it about, you just justified your thinking, right? Like, you are, like, based on some research that is being found, some content you, you or not content, it's just information you have in your mind, that you've seen as truthful, sure, and that will dictate your behavior towards that the encounter or the lack of the encounter with that person. And I think what I am observing from the kid, specifically the character of the little prince, is that he enc- he engages with the person with the question. For example, like regardless if he's encountering it as observed, I'll give you an example. Page forty, well, is is the section fourteen? You know, it has. Roman numbers on it's not chapters it's just sections of the book anyways but but he I, I was just thinking exactly like this like it says the fifth planet was very strange it was the small the smallest of all there was just enough room for a secret for a street lamp and a lamp lighter the little prince couldn't quite understand what use a street lamp and a street lighter could be up there in the sky, on the planet, without any people, and not a single house. However, he said to himself, it's quite possible that this man is absurd, but he's less absurd than the king, the very vain man, the businessman, and the drunk drunkard. At least his work has some meaning. When he's lighting his lamp, it's as if he he's brighting one more star to life, uh, or one more flower. When he puts when he puts out his lamp, that sends the flower or the star to sleep, which is a fine occupation and therefore truly useful. When so, when the little prince reached the planet, he greeted the lamplighter respectfully. Good morning. Why have you Why have you just put out your lamp? Orders. The lamplighter answered. Good morning. What orders are those? Anyways, I can keep going, but what I'm saying is that, interestingly, like, let's take the lamplighter as the example of this weird person on the street we're talking about. Like, the person that looks strange, but interestingly, the kid is not 
it is actually justifying the absurdity of what he's doing and not even justifying it. It's actually finding some meaning to it. It's like, wow, like this person doing something that perhaps on the outside looks so absurd uh, is actually doing something meaningful, right? Like the kid was able to derive some meaning. But unfortunately, when he went and encountered to the the, the person, he don't even say like, oh, thank you for your job, right? Like he went and he's like, why are you doing this, right? And this is like the absurdity of the adults. He's like, oh, I'm just doing it because I have orders, right? Like I'm not doing this because it's meaningful or I believe it's meaningful uh, for the flower or for the stars or for somebody else. No, I'm just doing it because it's my job. This is just what I'm, this is just what I do. I just follow orders. This is my job. Um, so, but I think like we touched on this, like when we talked about it before, but there is a particular historical context that I think is super important with this book, which is um, that the author was, you know, mm. either in World War One as a child and then World War Two as an adult. I don't remember, but um, that like things like lamplighting actually probably like coincided with like curfew and like some other really, you know, terrible things that were very much a part of the war and alcoholism, you, know, you see the drunkard. And so I do also think that there is a particular sort of, you know, his desire to see the world as a child after having sort of that taken away or at least dampened by by war like by legitimate like large-scale you know war with all that that entails um i mean what else can make you question what you know about the world other than war right and like the sovereignty like right the king who like needs to own things I, and i the, think what led him to question is the fact that he he actually was in an accident he did crash in a desert that's the real thing that happened he was on the brink of death yeah in a desert and that's where you reflect on what's meaningful in life and so i think that of course the child is him and he's reflecting back on what is meaningful starting from childhood to see if he could draw meaning out of all of his experiences in life and he just looked at different people in the world and what they considered as meaningful and he was trying to deduce mm what are the things that are of value in the world or in life? And, you know, the boy is just a creation that helps him to explore the different things that he's gone through in his life to find that meaning. So, And just for the listeners that may be uh, curious, the author is Anton, Antoine de Saint-Juperi, he is a Frenchman, and The Little Prince was published in 1943, just for kind of placing it in history. But so I guess a question for everyone, what is the, what's the purpose? Hmm. Why did he write it's The Little question. Prince? question. I don't know. I don't know much. Because he, he thought he found the answer. I think, he, I think he thought he found the answer, which in the book is quoted as the things that are, the things that are of value mm -hmm. can only be seen with the heart i think that's what the fox whispered in his ear and the whole theme behind it is that the things that we do throughout life the businessman and this you know the things that we do to survive that we won't really those won't mean anything in the end the only things that actually mean something are the things that will like we can carry with us into another life 
Because there's one point when the boy had to go and he's saying, this body's too mm. heavy, heavy to carry with me. Like, I can't, I, can't, I can't go with this. The things that I can go with are the feelings and the, the emotions that I've gained, the connections that I've developed. I can move with those, but not with this physical body because it's too heavy. And so the death of the boy, I think, kind of symbolizes him re-entering society with all the adults. And he's once again saying goodbye to that part of who he is, hmm. the child who helped him to reflect on what's important in life. That's interesting. I've never thought mm. about the ending as that, right? Like as the re-entrance to, or the entrance to adulthood. Yeah, because it happened after the plane was fixed. After the plane was fixed, the boy knew that, hey, your plane is fixed. And he said, I right. have to go. And the boy right, said, right. me too. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's him saying goodbye mm. to the inner child. Right. Which begs the question. And I had this thought too, like is the author, both the man and the boy? Well, I'll, I'll give, different you, points in I'll give you this, this, this copy yeah, I have, I think so. Has, I don't know if all the copies has it, but this one, the first page, it's like a dedicate dedication. How do you call it? Like when you dedicate this, it says to Leon worth. And it says, it's very short. It says, I ask children to forgive me for dedicating this book to a grown-up. I have a serious excuse. This grown-up is, is the best friend I have in the world. I have another excuse. This grown-up can understand everything, even books for children. I have a third excuse. He lives in France where he is hungry and cold. He needs to be comforted. If all these excuses are not enough, then I want to dedicate this book to the child whom this grown-up once was. All mm. grown-ups were children first, but few of them remember it. So I correct my dedication, and it says, to Leon Worth when he was a little boy. Oh. Mm -hmm. I just got goosebumps. Right? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. So it's an, yeah, yeah, yeah. I... So perhaps it is, you know? Perhaps it's both of them. That's what I lean towards, too. Just the reoccurring, um, the narrator reoccurringly say, like, I was discouraged from drawing after, you know, he only knew how to draw like a python inside and out. And then he got discouraged to study geography and literature and mathematics, arithmetic or whatever. Anyways, mm -hmm. and that comes up like three or four times. And I think that's the author kind of acknowledging, like, I, too, left these things at some point in my life and was turned away and went in a di different direction. And it's the series of events in his life. I think we did talk about the desert accident, Donna, but I'm glad you brought that back up. But anyways, it, it all accumulated to him kind of having this revelation of like how far he, he had come away from that child and kind of coming to peace with it, too. I think that's a really beautiful way to look at his re-entrance. The little prince's death is like, yeah, it, it just makes it feel whole, mm. like a full circle. I like that. I, I, I wanted to go further with the, the conspiracy. As in, I think the plane mm. doesn't really even represent a plane. <laughs> I think the plane just represents like us going through life. And mm. things that we can't control sometimes may break down and we feel like we've lost like all life meaning. Is over. 
Like, right. the, you know, life has failed us then. Mm. Right. Like, whatever you had planned, it's not working out. And so you kind of have to reevaluate what is meaningful in your life, I guess. I guess. But first you usually get stuck, right? Something, something breaks down, we get stuck, like emotionally usually for a bit before we start having the reevaluation. Right. And it's usually not because of anything you did, because you said that the plane had an engine issue. So sometimes things just break down that are outside so, of your control. So maybe now that I think about it, and, and maybe this is, yeah. this is the observation of how we just work as grown-ups, right? Like, or what it takes for a grown-up to get back in contact with his or her inner child, right? Like that person who he or she was at the very beginning of life, uh, right? And I agree totally with you, Donovan. Like, maybe this plane is just the representation of those things that just ultimately at some point will occur to anyone. Like, those unexpected things, because life is pure chaos and life is... I mean, not life, but perhaps, like, just the world itself is very entropic and we just don't have that much control. And it takes a very let's call it traumatic experience, but not in the sense of, of the medical sense, but I guess more of like, like an earthquake, you know, like it really takes a shaking the floor and shaking your ground where you feel safe and where you're standing. Destabilizing. It takes something to break that ground. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a good word. Yeah. Like it takes that for perhaps us as grownups to be now in this, state where we start questioning back again like what why are we doing the, all these right like when we lose a, a a person we love or for example now that i have two more generations surrounding me i have my parents and i have my grandmother my grandmother is the one that is getting to the end line to the finish line and these are just questions that i start asking myself too right like in the face of near death is not mine but it's from somebody i love like why am I doing all this, for example, right? Like, is, am I pers- like the absurdity that the little prince and the author depicts in these different characters. Like, yeah, pursuing numbers, pursuing jobs. Is well, that I think the point of this? We trade that. There's this really weird thing. And then I want to come to the back mm. to the rose because that was actually my favorite part of the conversation that we had last time. Um, and I'd be very curious to hear what Donovan has to say. Um, but, right, as adults, we trade emotion, like we trade emotional flexibility for sort of stability. Um, and the stakes are different for sure, but I think that, you know, it, it goes back to like in Anti-Fragile, he talks about this. Like if you have a job and a mortgage, you're actually quite fragile because the minute one of those gets pulled out, you like go into a like nosedive panic. Whereas if you're like a cab driver or you have a traveling art show, you get to call your terms a little bit more and you're not under anybody's thumb. And so, but, but our society as a whole looks at those professions much with much less value than somebody who has, you know, it's it's quite lovely to have a mortgage and a job. Um, And so I think it's just really interesting how we don't encourage more adaptation and we don't model it certainly either. 
the rose, we had this great conversation about like what the rose symbolizes. She's super manipulative. Um, and if it's a mother or, yeah, I think that, that one was like just a fun sort of, because that's like the whole reason he leaves the planet, right? The rose is terrible. Yeah, what was the rose about? What was the, 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 the oh, greatest yeah. story around the rose? I'm not, I'm not too sure. About it. So, I, did, so I actually didn't reread it before this, but um, from what I recall that the rose sort of, you know, tricked him and was like, you know, f- really needed him all the time. And so he left the planet. But towards the end of the story, he finds like a whole garden full of roses. That, you know, he thought she was like the only one and and sort of. Yeah, but yeah, the rose was being kind of abusive wanting a lot of stuff, the glass and the water and intent to me and very boastful and I'm so beautiful. Like I grew up with the sun and all of this. And um, yeah, she, it, he did realize that the rose were being kind of deceptive also. But I wanted to know what relationship between childhood and growing up, what does the rose represent in the story? Who's the figure I don't that think it's a figure per se. Well, every mother sort of wants to be needed. I think that is part of what we are. Yeah, go ahead, Vikat. Yeah, no, I, I'm. I'm just saying it does. It doesn't have to be a. It doesn't have to be a figure per se. It doesn't have to be a person. It can be a choice, a particular choice which you make, and then it starts costing you. But then you have made the decision that this is what I've decided to do, and this is what I will stick by and then it ends up draining your life. So it's 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 very easy to extend that metaphor into the territory of it being a choice rather than it being a person. Because there are choices that we make. You as an 18 year old, maybe. Yeah. I, as I mean, a child? Um, as a child, I don't think the child is literally eight years old and then at nine you're not a child anymore. I think it's more about when you transition from the carefree attitude of being a child to being an adult. So even you making a decision at 16 that working as a consultant for McKinsey, I don't know if anyone has worked there before, I'm just saying. So being a consultant at at a firm is what I want to do is a choice you make when you're 16. But then you go to college and then you realize, wait, this doesn't actually align with what I thought is a good life or what I thought I would enjoy. But then that choice starts becoming that toxic force in your life, though you chose it, which is also a conversation me and Donovan always keep going back and forth about, about the idea of we, do we actually know what we're doing? Do we act, 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 are we actually informed enough to actively make these choices? And we are on like different sides of the thing because Donovan is like, we are grown people. We have information with, with knowledge. You can, you know, decipher things. And I am on the side of, even if we knew, even if we had all the facts, the interpretation would kill you before you reached what you would call the truth. So the rose could as easily be a choice. It doesn't have to be a person is, is the point I'm making. A choice that locks you into a certain being adult version. Now, maybe the rose, because I'm looking at it from the point of, hey, we were once children. This 
prince represents his inner child. And he's saying that there was once upon a time where I had my own small world. My world was pretty small. And I had things I thought were important, but maybe were not so important in the grand scheme of things. But in my small planet, on my small world, I had things that, you know, that I wanted to take care of and do. Maybe it was a toy or something that I considered valuable, a teddy bear or something that I cherished. And I thought the the boa plants, the that, that tree that he was trying to prevent from growing, if you look at a photo of this tree, these trees are very, very big trees, like maybe the tallest tree in is the world or something like that. that. Yeah, 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 that's what it is. Yeah. Something like that. That's the tallest tree in the world? No, it's not the tallest tree in the world, but they're huge. I think they grow in Madagascar. It's those trees oh, that wide. you see in like the Lion King they movies look- or something, which is like so tall and at the top they have... It's those African right. little black yeah. branches. So I, think, yeah. I think those trees were selected maybe to represent adulthood. Maybe he was saying that I don't, he was kind of having fun being a child and not wanting to grow up or to, I don't know, maybe the adults, I don't, I'm not sure, or to let the adults into his I, world then on ah, his small planet. That's maybe he a, trying to keep adults out. That's a very I'm good not point. sure. And then, but I still wouldn't get the rose though. The rose isn't the rose isn't fit. I think the baobab thing is, is it's it's interesting because he mm. talks about if you don't tend to them soon enough, they will end up taking over the world and break it to pieces. I'm wondering if it's bad habits, <laughs> like bad characteristical stuff. I'm, I just I, I'm not I'm not putting it together. That's interesting. I like the way you're approaching this, Donovan. Um, I guess from our just like previous conversations, I do have a hard time separating the rose away from like um, like a maternal metaphor, um, just because the little prince is so in love with the rose, and the rose, you know, seemingly loves the little prince. But of course, as we know, the relationship takes on a bit of a coercive. Uh, you know, the spirit or co- coercive attitude. And one, we already mentioned it earlier, but just kind of circle back, like the rose is convinced, like needs all this water, needs all this care and attention. And yet the little prince leaves. We meet, he meets the narrator. And with, there's that question, like, why do roses have thorns? Well, if a sheep can eat a rose, like, why? what good is the thorn? You know, he gets so mad about that. Um, and we, we are led to believe it's because, obviously, his, his relationship, his feelings to this rose back on his home planet and thinking that she was going to be eaten and what good are her thorns. And anyways, it's... But I, I do appreciate both... I guess, let me step back. I apologize. Donovan, you were saying the characteristic habits, that was more for the trees, not the rose, or as a representation, right? The characteristical habits? Yeah, you are saying, I think it was... Yeah, the bad habits maybe were the that tree that he was trying to avoid from growing. Like he's saying, once you let a bad habit... I, I don't think kids think that way. I don't know any child that prevents bad habits from developing. But he's saying once these bad habits get out of hand, 
they will consume your life or something like that. I'm just not sure if it's adults or if it's bad habits. I'm not sure exactly what each thing represents in the story. Does the rope... But one more thing. Yeah. Is it the... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Daniel. Well, is it the rose that tells him that he needs to weed out the baobabs or is it just something that he no. notices and I he's trying to do? Is this something he does? But he was doing that from day one. That's in, it doesn't, what you just said, Donovan, about you don't think kids uh, think in terms of habits. I agree with you completely. So maybe it's just part of that... Um, I will say the word indoctrination because I don't have a better word, but I mean like that belief system that is already being built that, that because that that's those that's knowledge that is given to you not only by words but also in practice and what you see at home because that's really adult like right like that's really in specifically mm -hmm. family the, your core family works that way because one of the first things is discipline that's what you learn when you are in when you grow up with your family like your family and your house operates in a specific way that discipline means very specific things for any of us in our house so maybe that's something he already adopted you know like maybe that's what that's the interesting part. right and he, he says this like it's a question of discipline the little prince told told me later on when you finish washing and dressing each morning, you must tend your planet. You must be sure you pull up the bobwas. I don't know how to pronounce baobabs. Baobabs, whatever. Regularly, as soon as you can yeah. tell, as as soon as you can tell, tell them apart from the rose bushes, which they closely resemble when they're very young. It's very ten tedious work but very easy so i guess yeah it's like when you're growing up and maybe that's the paradox like even the little prince observing all these little or big grown-ups you know doing absurd things on his perspective like he is already part of society right like he's already part of of a circle a social circle call it family uh, and this is just something he does well, I'll say there's a part where he said that he uh -huh. knew of a man who was lazy and his planet got taken mm -hmm. over by the plants. So he knew what would happen if he was too right. lazy right, to right. do the work necessary. So he knows and the consequence. I that part, I just, I can't, I can't figure out that part of the story because I think it's a reason why he chose that plant specifically. And I think the part of tending to your planet, there's a message that's been sent there that I, I just can't put my finger. I, I'll have to read it again because I've only gone through it. I think it... Maybe one and a half times, I'd say. Again, like, but, comes back to like the, the cultural and historical context, right? This was in a very sort of, when he lived in Europe during you know, one of the world wars. I don't remember. I, I'm really bad with history, so I don't know if 19, like the second or first, I think it might've been in between. doesn't matter. Um, but that world war two, yeah. you're in like a nationalistic, you know, situation you have to tend to your planet. You have to make sure, you know, everything's in order. It was quite, I think, I think it's something that I, I know that my experience doesn't allow me to very easily sort of imagine what that was like on a day-to-day. -day. My childhood did not require discipline. 
and that's what was true. I like it was very. I think you're onto whatever. something there, Danielle. Like, I think maybe we should be cautious of forcing an analogy or forcing a metaphor that maybe doesn't fit and maybe see it more as just an expression of what the author was experiencing. So the, the alternative is that everything that happened on the planet means nothing. The only part that the planet represented is the fact that it was his world and that because he had to prevent the weeds from growing, it was a part of him protecting the rose. Because as I said, the main point of the story is that you build relationships and meaningful things through emotions and connections and the time you invest into something. So maybe the planet was just his way of saying that there is this thing that he invested time in, that he has feelings for, and to teach that lesson, that's, that's, what, that's what the rose represented, just to connect that, that lesson, the broader lesson of the whole thing. And then on the other side, we have like Vikyat's suggestion of like the rose just being like a, a decision. I think that's a really interesting path we can explore a little bit more just in terms of how we can find ourselves so dedicated to a decision that we didn't fully realize wasn't the best decision for ourselves at the time, if that makes sense, right? Like, so when the prince first meets the rose, it's this wonderful, beautiful relationship, and he thinks it's just he's in heaven or whatever. And, and by the end of it, he really sees the rose in a much different light and I find relief in that change of perspective because as we've talked about previously, like the maternal metaphor, I think is whole, one that holds some weight, right? Like Daniel said earlier in, um, but mothers want to be needed. I think that's a very natural, instinctual emotion to experience. And I'm sure at more, you know, at one point or another, there's a mother out there that's went overdid it and is, manipulated their children or child into <sighs> you know like uh what do you call it there's a syndrome where the mother makes the kids sick perpetually because the, there's like a whole psychological analysis about this now but 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 more so just the de the decision perspective i think is one that is somehow more ambiguous and yet i feel like i have more control over it because it's something I can relate to, I guess, maybe in a little bit more of a, in a clear manner. Vikya, do you want to add more to that? Yeah. I thought that was a really interesting <laughs> I'm leaning more towards the idea of, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm leaning more towards the idea of this is a choice than saying Antoine had mommy issues. But <laughs> no, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm just joking. I, I, I see the merit to that. I, I, I think the reason it can be characterized as a choice and as a decision is because a decision could be a person, the girl or the guy you thought was perfect right. for you and then thought is the one, the only, but then you you realize later that not, not only are they not the one, the only, but it was probably not the right decision and the right relationship. And that can that can happen with a person. I, I respect that option. I, I, yeah, it can be a person, it can be a job that you chose, it can be a career that you thought was a good idea, you thought, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe you thought, 
making a YouTuber, being a YouTuber would actually be chilling, whereas it actually is way more grueling a job than many others and stuff like that. So anything that you thought is <laughs> is singular and yours and, you know, all fulfilling in whichever it's version of life that you wanted. One second, Anand. Uh, in whichever version of life that you wanted, but not, but it is not the case that that is the one, the only being the idea. Yeah, sorry. Whatever it is, has to be something that, as a younger person, you made a mistake dealing with that situation or that thing or that person. And then you learn to appreciate it more after abandoning it. So I don't see that working out with... I don't know if the mother thing fits with that whole thing, because there was a point in the story where he said, I left because we were too young to know how to love each other. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the the girlfriend part of it, I can see maybe being a girlfriend, but who wants to go back to this girlfriend who (laughs) we now learn to appreciate more because we were too young and we maybe said some things or deceived each other because we were too young. And so we, learned that it's not just some girl but because of the time and things that we invested in that person that's what made her special because he invested time what? and energy into oh donovan's a romantic she is <laughs> I, like it just it just doesn't on that man <laughs> here's one point i, I want to make <laughs> like at this at this point of because today we have taken this turn i don't even think it has <laughs> to fit Right. Screw what Antoine thought. If if <laughs> if if for Cat she's able to see this story and it evokes a sense of you know this makes me relate to this particular aspect of life, there is value to that. I mean, yes, as an overarching metaphor, it would be nice if the jigsaw fit perfectly. But the point of art is not always that there is an exact answer. Sometimes even the author might not intend it, but it could have been part of his psyche that which led him to make a specific creative choice. And even if he did not at all intend and it was not part of his psyche or whatever, but if you see something and you're like, hey, you know what? This makes me think think of this particular path. There is value to that as well. And it doesn't have to fit in. Not, not, Not necessarily. As long as it's on theme, you know, there's value to that. Agreed. Except there's one part. I was uh-oh. supporting you, Kat. What are you doing? Uh, <laughs> okay. There's one part of the movie or the book, sorry, uh, that I think is just undeniably holds way too much weight. And it's the death of Little, Little Prince and how he chooses to die, I think is just But did he die, though? And as Donovan. Oh, yes. <laughs> No, he didn't. No, he no, didn't. No. So I mean, it depends. So the, I think the main part of the story, the main lesson of the story is that, which I completely disagree with. I, I'll just say that. <laughs> Let overall, me put that not, first up front. The, the overall narrative. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just saying, because I'm going to sound like... Donovan, don't I'm, worry. I'm we never make I, the mistake I, I, of assuming you agree <laughs> with any of this ever. <laughs> Good. I know it, it doesn't tend to happen much, does it? And I'm not trying to be a contrarian. I really, I really don't. But um, what, what was I going to say? The way he did dies. he die, or if he died? Oh right. Yeah. So I think 
the the big the big lesson is that the boy whenever you, uh, he said i'm going to give you a gift whenever you look up at the stars you should think of me laughing and with the sheep and everything else right it sounds like bells or something yeah something like that right but the whole point of it is that you can find happiness in the world through believing whatever it is that you want <laughs> like like for example so first of all i think there maybe there are two main main lessons of the story one of the main lessons is the one that i keep going back to where you can develop connection or the most important things in life are the things you can't see which means that it's love and connection are the most meaningful things and then the next part the, the other part of it is you can induce meaning into anything once you invest enough time to that thing and you believe in that thing you can give it meaning so he gave the guy a gift by saying i'm giving the stars a meaning when you look up at them you should think of me up there mm. doing what i do because that's where i'm going i'm telling you that that's where i'm going and i'm asking you to believe and to find happiness in that thought you know so I i'm not one of those person who believe that you just go around and attribute meaning as in anything that you invest time into automatically means that that thing becomes valuable to you and it's not like all the others because of what you invested in it if you have a ball and you spent your childhood with this ball that makes your ball more valuable than all the other balls i mean this might be like i don't think we can at this point we we, we don't we can't even do the movie castaway anymore because mm -hmm. we killed the whole character of wilson the whole point of developing a connection to innate objects because of the time that we invested in it and the time that we spent with these things, I, I'm, I'm not one of those persons who think that that's a, I don't know. It just seems right. like, yeah, we can all live in our imagination and be happy. I mean, here's the thing, are you though. Here's with the, the thing, placebo though. effect? Yeah, placebo <laughs> effect, IKEA effect, all of them are there. But here's the thing. What, what is... What is slightly off about that argument is that you're using a thought to feel good. You're using a rational uh, a rationalization that you made up to feel good. If something as fleeting and as conjured and made up as a thought in your head can give you joy, why can't a volleyball? It can't. It's just very snobbish to say, oh, how silly to get joy from a ball. But my thought can give me joy. Oh, your thought is so much more than a tangible thing. I agree with you. I'm not saying that, yeah, I'm not saying that the effect doesn't exist, the IKEA or the placebo effect. These things are real things with real yeah. connections, right? And I mean, not to be offensive because I consider myself a spiritual person, but even religion, for example... In most cases, we don't have any proof that these things, there's no, there's no proof, right? We just believe. And this belief gives us comfort. It gives us faith. Sometimes your religion can motivate you to overcome all manner of things because of your mindset and just by believing. And so it's a powerful thing that I'm sure can bring joy and happiness to people's lives, just like religion does. But do you just go around inducing meaning to things just so that you can develop connections as the fox said about taming me you can make something that's just one of a million as in it's just like any other thing 
and make it important to you by investing that time and taming that thing. Of, and, um, of course, sometimes I see there's a difference. Daniel? There's a so, sorry, Daniel. Oh, like no, I I was just raising my hand because I'm that person that like assigns meaning to random things constantly uh, and drives immense because, joy. Because because Donovan, here's the thing: that is that is trying to have what you enjoy. and then there is enjoying what you have you don't always have the choice of like oh this does not work i'll just do something else like we were talking about lamp lighters and all of that do you guys know what a knocker upper is a what yeah that's a guy who knocks up females just and just like oh jesus <laughs> christ oh my god what the fuck face is amazing right now oh my god that <laughs> is said a knocker oh upper god. knocker up someone Good that knocks no, up knocker uh, upper you knock what are you knocking up i don't think we did little prince right not handmaid's tail no is that you next you do know week? what knocking someone up is right oh my god is that what they call geez. a sperm bank i guess <laughs> going oh to the knocker up oh jeez <laughs> oh my god Guys, I'll tell you, quit it, please. Don't do this. Oh, We're back. all adults, Spoke right? God, be good. What are, what are you guys doing? No, no, it has nothing to do with your poverty okay. thoughts. What is it? Vigyan? It's an old. It's just this old. It's this profession before they were functional alarm clocks, where people would go around door to door in the morning. and they would have like this pipe into which they would put something like a pee and they would blow it so it goes and hits the window pane and wakes people up these people were human alarm clocks they were knocker uppers so they they knock and wake you up so that's what a knocker upper is not someone who knocks up oh my god <laughs> so, <laughs> so So there are there are so from a very oh my god this person is an adult this person is enjoying this there is no meaning is one perspective to take but then being where you are and and maybe it's also a very eastern philosophy kind of thing that to take joy it's very it's buddhist very buddhist exactly absolutely it's yeah. the, the the buddhist thing is very like this and that is the same kind of thing it's like it's it's all the same so it's 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 in taking the joy of see there is there is a price for everything and to and to change something there's a lot of effort you have to put into it and that effort comes with its own trappings which is like in that's so how you also get with the whole concept of karma and what not but we're not going there but it's all every choice brings with it its own trappings but the active choice to enjoy what you already have is a choice that is available to you and it is a choice that can give actual joy because yes because when you make the decision to switch lanes part of that joy comes from your capability to do it and your impression that it would actually give you joy so if you can create a mindset where you enjoy what you have i'm not saying it is the same as having the best option in your hand i mean yes of course having a, a cozy air conditioned room is not the same as you know sitting in the sun but you can condition yourself to enjoy what is there and to have a mindset of enjoying what you have because this idea that you always the, the, this this idea that the book also puts forth that oh adults are making these choices oh it's all silly just go smell the roses is yeah fine fine but you find yourself at that y junction at every choice in your life 
there are only a few decisions for which you can say yeah. fuck the job i'll go and walk the grass on the meadows but you can't do that for everything there are some choices where you have to be a father mother brother sister and there are these duties that you do and then there are mundane things like sweeping your house you have to learn to take joy in them even though they are adult and you know not fancy in the childlike imagination so it's not vikar i think it's not about taking joy in something it's about developing a connection to something the fox said that you have to tame me and after you tame me then i'll become yours not one of the 100000 other foxes out there but i will be yours so having fun i think is different from connecting with something connecting is like the people who go out and buy a dog and they're like i want to fall in love and i'm going to give myself time to fall in love with this dog then i'm going to cry when this dog dies and then i'm you know yep. like Like, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll tell why, you what. Why, think why, of this. Why, think why, of this. I, there I, was I, this. I because there, there was just this one thing, Daniel. There was this one video of like this cop in a crowded traffic junction who's dancing his way through regulating the traffic, while I'm sure the place he wants to be is a, on an actual stage dancing. He is taking what he has and making a choice to enjoy that. that itself makes a lot of difference in life well that's go that's so i will maybe, say maybe maybe what he maybe daniel go i want to come back to the animal thing in particular i you know not only am an, have had pets am a pet owner but i honestly like with being in veterinary medicine and emergency medicine for 15 years i've literally sat with hundreds of people as they cried and euthanized their pets and there is an extraordinary thing about investing the time because I forgot that <laughs> because yeah humans you made and, the wrong thing no but i think humans and dogs and humans and horses right you, you have to tame them not tame them but you have to like create an understanding but there has been a really extraordinary coevolution with those two species where they are emotionally available in a very particular way um that even i think some other humans aren't and so it but i do th- i do this with my plants like i had this like little ceramic bird that it's the one thing that i will not let go in a moving box because i want it on my windowsill when i do the dishes like i it's ridiculous and like it does bring me joy it helps me feel grounded it allows me to connect to wherever i am more quickly and it's and i'm just somebody who lo- like i like silly things because i like like I like to be silly. I find a lot of joy in that. Um but with the there's a great phrase that is quite Buddhist that is pain is inevitable but suffering is optional. And there's an idea that you can choose to be a vic- like I even said this to Monty today because he forgot his shoes. We were at the hot springs and they'd sprinkle the salt everywhere so no people don't slip. It's quite crunchy magnesium chloride salt. and he was stepping on it out 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 and i said so you can choose to be a victim or you can choose to be a creator and like i've watched you walk like run out the front door in the summer on the dirt roads and have no problems so like you can just know that this is okay or you can like be in it and feel like this is the worst thing possible and so i do think it's a shift of authorship and it's the same with like a pet or you know any number of things like the way that you choose to be in the world and with each other like the reason this book club exists is because i decided to like create a connect as many connections as i could 
as soon as I arrived at synthesis. And so, and I find, I found meaning in something that I yeah, had no experience Were you trying with. to develop connections with other people as in? Yeah. You want yeah, I was. To, to have people who you can feel like these are my family now. I'm, I'm falling in love with these people eventually over time. That's what you were looking for, or is it that you enjoy having? You're saying the same thing, Donovan. Like the conversation. Both those the things you said are the same thing. You're just saying it. You're just saying it in a deprecatory voice the first time. No, then... no, no, no. <laughs> One thing is Danielle being in love with having conversations, and we are here to help her enjoy having conversations. The other thing is she is oh, seeking. Oh no! Connections. I like other people more than I like the sound of my own voice. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I have right now I have 10 people that I've after being at that company for four months, I have 10 people that I talked to. I'm on a, like in regular communication with. And you like having more people. Yeah, like, And I like to learn like, about like people who you can connect with. Like I loved when you had, I think it was your niece, like that like came on the call and like building like <laughs> layers of familiarity with people. I, I enjoy deep connection and I want people to show up and be messy and like, after they had a bad day and cry. I don't like people to be edited and packaged and polished. That's not fun. So I'll agree with one thing, though, that whenever we do die and leave our heavy bodies behind, mm. the only things that we will be able to carry with us are the connections that we made, the emotions that we felt. And even if we're in a box for all of eternity, if we have those thoughts and those memories, good times and bad then we will essentially be able to relive our lives to some extent or the parts we choose to keep. We can replay those moments in our mind. So we will always have those things that we connect with. The things that we don't connect with, we may end up forgetting them. So for everyone who may be listening, whatever, whatever, whatever floats your boat, whatever helps you to develop connections and give you more meaning and more feelings that you can develop an arsenal of things to package before you go, that you can actually carry with you, then more power to you. I mean, carry as much things as you can, you can have. I mean, if you're like Daniel, you just want to find tons of people to connect with and have those experiences, a million experiences of different people and it makes you happy, yeah. then, I mean, carry as much as you can. So. So the summary is Daniel loves us all and Donovan can't stand us. He's just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm here all the time for the book club because I just, I just can't stand the people here. <laughs> and one last thing. So I know for a fact that the child was the man. Why? Because when he showed the photo of his hat... To the child, and he say, "I don't want a ball constrict. I don't want a ball constrictor with a with a with an elephant yeah. inside." There's no one in the face of the planet no. that would ever give him that answer about ball constrictor mm. and elephant. The only person who could have known that that was a ball constrictor eating an elephant was him. I, ne- I never and noticed so that. But that was the giveaway. I for never me. noticed that, but yeah, it's. I mean, <laughs> that, that, that might be. Yeah, it's a literary gimmick, guys. I don't think. I don't think there is. There is necessarily a specific, but I mean, we could see it as that. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Maybe he's just saying that children. Only a child. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's what he's saying. Maybe that's what he's saying. But then again, why wouldn't he have shown it to another child at some point in his story of life, having shown it to many adults? Why didn't he say, I showed it to some kids and they figured it out? Like, 
Well, that's true. Something's wrong there, so that's why you know. It's, I, it's I just, it's just that. something we'll never know. But I, I will buy that from you. Like, that's a good observation.